0: Welcome to episode 52 of the X-Files retrospective podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at Paperclip, season three, episode two, which is the last part of a three-part episode that concluded the last season and launched this one. The original air date was September 29th, 1995. The IMDb user score is 9.0 out of 10. And once again, the locations are primarily focused in Maryland and in that area. This was directed by Rob Bowman and written by Chris Carter. In terms of the cast, it's a lot of familiar faces with characters that we saw last week. One of the new faces is Walter Gotell, who plays Victor Klemper. His 167 IMDb credits date back to 1942 and continue right up until his death in 1997. They include two guest spots on MacGyver, one on Star Trek The Next Generation, He's probably best known for playing General Anatole Gogol in The Spy Who Loved Me and Morzini in From Russia With Love. In this episode, he's a Nazi scientist who worked with the US government to do experimentation in what Scully believes is experimentation on humans, what Mulder believes is an experiment designed to create an alien-human hybrid. The character is based on a man named Strogholt, who was a Nazi scientist that was protected by the American government as he worked for them, and is the namesake of the mining facility that Klemper sends them to. He was not deliberately inspired in any way by Victor Klemperer, a German Jew who escaped persecution by coming to American-controlled territories. Now the elders are back, including John Neville. I want to talk a little bit more about Don S. Williams this time around. He is the first elder, aka Elder Number 1, both large and tall man, with a very soft-spoken voice who seems to be the leader of the group. In terms of his personal history, he's actually one of four cast and crew members from a 12 episode Canadian sitcom titled Leo and Me to develop Parkinson's disease. One of the other four was series co star Michael J. Fox back when he was credited as Mike Fox. And this is one of the first indicators that there may be an environmental component to Parkinson's because it's unusual to have that many people that close together who have it. It's not a large enough sample size to draw any statistically significant conclusions. But the four people who developed Parkinson's later in life were also the same four people who suffered from a particular virus while that show was in production. Now, unfortunately, there's not enough information to know if suffering from that virus somehow triggered the onset of Parkinson's later in life, or if a genetic predisposition to Parkinson's disease was also somehow responsible for giving them a genetic predisposition that makes it difficult to fight that particular virus. So it is catching that virus a symptom of Parkinson's later in life, or did it somehow cause it? That is not clear, because there just weren't enough people involved to find out. Getting more into the episode itself, we resolve the opening cliffhanger, when Mulder is revealed to be the man outside Mulder's apartment, who comes in and just pulls his gun on Skinner, because he sees Skinner and Scully with guns at each other, and just immediately takes Scully's side. No hesitation, no second thoughts. That lets you know exactly how strong their partnership is. Now, Skinner does, you know, put his weapon down, pulls out the digital tape, and talks about his plan to use it as a bargaining chip. They come to an uneasy truce when Scully says that, yeah, she was warned that she would be killed by someone she trusted. Muller and Scully continue their investigation to find Klemper, who points them to that mining facility with a hint of Napier's constant. They arrive and find dozens of doors, all with electronic locks they're all combination locks now only one of them is opened by the code 27818 possibly because Napier's constant is actually starts with 271828 it's actually an irrational number so the endpoint is arbitrary and inside that one door that opens they find a massive number of files sorted by birth dates including one for Scully and one that was originally meant to be Fox's file but was replaced with his sister's name And they find more evidence linking the experimentation to smallpox vaccines to go along with the smallpox vaccine scars that Mulder had seen on the corpses in the boxcar. So when they are comparing notes with the lone gunman in the course of this investigation, Frohickey comes in and reveals that Scully's sister has been shot. And that's when Scully learns of the attack. She's about to rush off to the hospital and Mulder stops her and says, hey, they were trying to kill you. Of course, they're going to be watching your sister. I know you want to be with her, but if you go now until we're through this thing, they are going to find you and kill you. She does recognize that he's right. Albert Hostin goes in her place to pass the message along. Skinner does follow later as well, saying that, yeah, she's in a tight position right now. She wants to be here, but she can't. Now, Skinner notices a suspicious man. Hosting says that he's been very interested in this room. When Skinner follows him, he's attacked by Krychek, Louis Cardinal, and another gentleman who steal the digital tape. So it's no longer in his possession. The cigarette smoking man actually orders the others to kill Krychek, and he's saved because he notices the digital clock in the car disappear when everyone leaves him alone. He survives the car bomb, escapes the country by essentially telling the cigarette smoking man, Hey, I'm gone. If I so much as feel your presence, I'm going to make you a very, very famous man. That call comes in while the cigarette smoking man is in the room with the elders, and he plays it totally differently, saying, Oh, yeah, we've got confirmation the tape is destroyed. It's all good. Skinner wants to bargain for the lives of Mulder and Scully, but there will be no bargain because he no longer has any leverage. Now, whether or not the bargain happened, Mulder left up to Scully. He wanted to follow through to the end, but Scully said, no, I want to see my sister. We need to take the deal and get out of this. So Mulder followed her lead on that one, which was a very nice touch. We know Mulder's passion and his drive to investigate the X-Files and that he's basically willing to sacrifice everything because there's nothing else left in his life whereas Skelly has a life, and she's not willing to make that same level of sacrifice. This leads into one of my favorite Skinner scenes of the entire series, where he stands there and faces off against the cigarette smoking man, trying to negotiate, and cigarette smoking man or cancer man says, hey, you've got nothing to negotiate with. You don't have the tape. And then Skinner invites Albert Hostein into the room, CSM saying, what is this? And Skinner saying, this is where you pucker up and kiss my ass. And he goes on to explain that Albert Hostein Has translated and memorized the code which was encoded in Navajo, and he's shared that information with a number of other Navajo males. So, unless the cigarette smoking man wants to kill every Navajo in four states, anything on that tape can be retrieved with a simple phone call. So, CSM knows that information is out there, and it's going to be virtually impossible to kill off all possible leaks without that information coming to light. And we do have a few of the standard tropes of the series in here. We've got Mulder seeing more than Skelly does. So when they're in the mining facility, he sees a UFO outside, which the crew created by having a giant crane hoist powerful lights up into the air, while Scully drops her flashlight right before a swarm of apparent aliens come rushing past. So again, it is nicely handled. We've got Rob Bowman on directing, so the visuals are fantastic, and Chris Carter was really hitting his stride with the scripting. This was the three-parter that really made X-Files Must See TV for me. These are the ones that really kept everything going and maintained the push forward. And it set off the X-Files' most award-winning season to date. Now, the first season won an Primetime Emmy Award for the best opening sequence for that montage that is so distinctive. It had a couple of other nominations. As we go through this season, I'll be putting a little more emphasis and paying more attention to the awards because this third season is where X-Files really starts bringing them in. It had primetime Emmy nominations every single year it was on the air. As we've said, the people who are making TV recognized what was happening. But it's in these years, seasons three through five in particular, when it's recognized not just by creators, but by audiences as well. So that's about all we have to say about Paperclip. Please join us again in two weeks' time when we discuss DPO with some pretty significant, before-they-were-stars, kinds of casting. So... Please feel free to rate this and any of the shows that you listen to on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever service you listen to that has a rating system. Share the episodes with any of your friends. We will be reading feedback live on the air when it comes into Bureau42podcasts at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Intro and outro music is Outside Poolside by Laswell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content copyright 2015, Bureau42. Please feel free to send any comments or feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening.